Amen. Amen. Great song. You know, as we gave that moment of silence for 9-11 and what took place there, 21 years, and they tell me now that little kids, they don't know much about what happened on 9-11. And we have to remember to let them know of the tragedy and, and, and what took place there, the terrorist attacks. And then I begin to think about 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, our Christ, the Savior, gave his life for a ransom for our sins. And yet we still remember. And we, it, it does something to us when we think back to the price he paid for us and how the enemy even today might try to squash that in the testimony, that great testimony of sacrifice and love he gave for us. But it's up to us to keep it in the forefront of the culture, to keep it in the forefront of our lives, the great price that he paid in order to give us eternal life. That's what the scripture is all about. And last Sunday, we started the book of Joshua. Lydia told me it was a lengthy introduction, but I told you guys it would be from the beginning. (laughs) But it was a very important introduction. Joshua, we know, a picture of Jesus Christ. And he brings the children of Israel into the promised land, which was a physical place for them. But for us, the believer, it's a picture of the promises of God that we can possess in this life. No matter what the obstacles may be in our lives that we face, we are to grow in Christ's likeness. Moses, we found out, could never lead the children of Israel into the promised land, being a picture of the law. God has promised the believer victory. Even though we may have battles, and we will have battles to face in this life, he has called us to not only to occupy, but subdue the promises of God. And we found out this is not done in our own strength, We can't work our way into the promises of God. We we don't earn our way into the promises of God or deserve them. But for the believer in Jesus Christ, the promised land, which are the promises of God, are freely given to us. Once again, Hebrew tells us, let us therefore labor to enter his rest. That may sound contradictory, but it's not. It's almost like Philippians 2, 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. We also found out that the formula for receiving these promises of God, verse 7 of chapter 1 tells us, and 8, only be strong, God tells Joshua, 
and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. He says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then, there's a stipulation. If we meditate on his word, if we're in the scriptures, for then and do them, you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So constant, careful observing of the word of God and by the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, we can do his word. So we shouldn't We should always be in his word because being out of his word, we tend to become disobedient in it. We'll pick up in verse 11, chapter 1. Joshua tells the officers in the camp, remember, it's two to three million Hebrews there. He says, pass through the camp and command the people, saying, prepare provisions for yourselves. For within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go into the... Go to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. They are on the edge of the promised land. They've been waiting 38 years. And now we are going to find out they're going to have to wait three more days. And I believe the reason the Lord tells them to wait three more days is because this harlot, is on the wall in Jericho. And God, we will find out, has been ministering to her. And he's been doing this for a while. And I think she's ready. She's ripe to put her trust in the God of the Jews. And he will hold up his entire divine program to save one harlot. That's the God we worship. Rahab We'll find out she has heard the entirety of Canaan and that it will belong to the Jews and that all of the inhabitants of the land, they're terrified. And so I believe Rahab must be thinking this is a God of slaves. This is a God who stoops down to the broken and the downcast. So maybe there's a place for me amongst the people of God. That's what she's hoping for. We need to see that God loves this woman. He loves her so much once again that he's going to hold up his divine program for three days. Verse 12 tells us, and to the Reubenites, Joshua says, the Gadites and the half tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke saying, it seems they cared more about making a living, these two and a half tribes, than making a life. He tells them, remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God is giving you rest and is giving you this land on the eastern side. They're not going to cross over into the promised land. He says, your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. But you shall pass before your brethren. Notice he says, armed, all your mighty men of valor, and help them. Now take notice of this. 
When we get to chapter 4, verse 13, it's going to tell us that 40,000 men from Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they will go into Canaan to make war with the rest of the children of Israel. So it seems to me there's about, the book of Numbers tells us when Joshua is counting Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, there's about 136,000 men there. So God in his grace and in his mercy leaves 90-something thousand on the east side to protect the women and children there. So they're going to move in with 40,000 men of valor. He tells us in verse 15, he says, but you shall pass before your brethren armed all your mighty men of valor and help them until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he has gave you. And they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side of the Jordan toward the sunrise. I believe there's a message there in this passage for us. And I believe it speaks that every believer should not be content only with the blessing of God in our lives. But when we see our brethren who haven't entered into the promises of God. They may be struggling with this or struggling with that. We shouldn't turn away from them. We should be praying and helping them, discipling them to grow into Christ's likeness and in all of the promises that he has given us. That's why I believe these two verses are here. Matter of fact, 1 John tells us this in chapter 3, verse 17. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, here's the litmus test. How does the love of God abide in him? That's what the church, the body of Christ is about getting to know one another and praying for one another and doing life with one another and knowing one another's struggles and all those things so we can pray effectively for them. It's not just about coming in and leaving. It's about doing life. We are the body of Christ and we need one another. So they were not allowed to settle into the blessings of God that they had already received until the rest of their brethren were settled. So they answered Joshua saying, all that you command us, we will do. And whatever you send us and wherever you send us, we will go. Now, I don't know about this part. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, we know they didn't do that, but I understand what they're saying. So we will heed you. Only the Lord your God be with you. This is the one requirement. We hope that God is with you like he was with Moses as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words in all that you command him shall be put to death. They're serious about this. Only be strong and of good courage. Chapter 2. And, you know, I don't usually give outlines, but for a proper understanding of this Rahab account, we need to pay careful attention to how 
it's put together, this chapter. In verse 1, they are commissioned by Joshua. Verses 2 through 7, they arrive into Canaan, and then they're concerned about the protection of these two spies. Verses 8 through 14, a confession of faith we know by Rahab. Verses 15 through 21, they escape, and then they're concerned about the protection of Rahab and her family. Then verses 22 through 24, the return to Joshua. You know, as we go through this passage this morning, we need to take notice because behind the scene is the sovereignty of God, the providence of God. God is orchestrating everything that's going on here as he does in our lives. He's orchestrating this symphony of two to three million Hebrews. He's working everything for their good like he does in our lives. And I want us to think of this outline, since I'm hungry this morning, I didn't eat any breakfast, as a sandwich. With the first and the fifth section being the slices of bread. The second and fourth sections is the pieces of onions and lettuce that I like on my sandwich. And then that third section, the middle section, is the most important part of the sandwich. That's the meat. That's the steak. And we know that that meat is the most expensive and the most important part of the sandwich. And, and what I think, I believe the Holy Spirit is telling us that verse, verses 8 through 14 are the most important part of this entire account. You know, if you look at chapters 1 through 3, you could really remove chapter 2 and it would flow, the narrative would flow exactly perfect into chapter 3. They're getting ready. They're about to go into Jericho. But there's one little part that the Holy Spirit wants us to see, that succulent piece of meat in verses 8 through 14, and that's the account of Rahab, Rahab the harlot. That's what all eyes should be on on this text. The reason the Lord has waited these three days, the Lord, no telling how long he's been ministering to Rahab about her life and her need of a savior. And he begins to move with that. He says in verse one, now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove, that's Shittim, seven miles east of Jordan. He says to spy secretly saying, go view the land. Now notice Joshua only sends out two spies. Because remember, 38 years ago, Moses sent out 12, but only two came back with a good report. So Joshua does not like the number 12. He kind of likes the number two. So he's going to send in two spies. And that's what he does. And And they go in secretly. But you know, as I was thinking about as they went in secretly, I know they went in secretly that the Canaanites didn't know they were there for a minute. But did Joshua send them in secretly that the children of Israel didn't know? Because maybe if they came back with a bad report, 
it wouldn't go through the camp again. So I don't know about that. But he sends these two spies in and it says to go view the land, especially Jericho. Now, Jericho is nine to ten acres inside its walls. The walls, they say, were about 30 to 40 feet high. They had two surrounding walls. The outer wall, they tell us, is about 10 feet thick. They didn't want anybody to go in. And then there was a 10 to 15 foot space between that and the inner wall. And they said that wall was about 15 feet thick. So this was a formidable fortress. Jericho was one of the oldest cities in the world. It sat right in the middle, which will be important, of a trade route. People would come as far as the Euphrates, going to Jericho, and then going on down to Egypt. So it was a great location to build this city. And this would be the first battle the children of Israel would face. And imagine, imagine looking across the Jordan and seeing this huge fortress that you're about to go a war, to war against. It says, so they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab. The Hebrew word for harlot is zona, and it means a harlot, like it says, or a prostitute. To me, they're about the same thing. And it says, and lodged there. You know, some people try to help the Lord out sometimes as, as if he needs help. Some people say, no, she wasn't a harlot. She was an innkeeper because Almighty God would never associate with a harlot. Hmm, I don't think so. Rahab is mentioned three times in the New Testament, and there's no confusion about what she was in the New Testament, because every time she's mentioned, it's always Rahab, the harlot. God, what I want you to understand, God doesn't hide that. He doesn't hide that in any of our lives. What we were before we came to the Lord, it doesn't shame him, Victor. What it does, it glorifies him. Ephesians chapter 2, 7 tells us this. It says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. We are his trophies in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. He glories in what he makes out of us when we yield our lives to him. So it says in verse two, and it was told the king of Jericho saying, behold, consider this, Men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house. They already know this somehow. For they have come to search out all the country. This king, he's very well informed. We will find out the entire nation of, uh, of Canaan is terrified over this God of Israel. Their entire nation, the Bible will tell us, they're melting before them with fear. Remember after the children of Israel, they crossed the Red Sea and they began to sing 
a victory song. And they say this in Exodus 15, the people will hear, that's what they've done, and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them. By the greatness of your arm, your authority, they will be as still as a stone till your people pass over. That should ring a bell there. O Lord, till the people pass over whom you have purchased. So the entire land is paranoid by this time. The city is on high alert. Hey, we've, we've heard that two men, two Israelites have, have came into the camp. We don't know how that could happen, but that's what's happened. And Rahab, we heard that they have turned in to your house. Notice what she says in verse 4. Then the woman, and notice what God calls her, a woman, not a harlot. Reminds me of the scene when Jesus is in the home of Simon. And Simon didn't like that woman in there. And Jesus says, Simon, notice this woman. He's just like his father. The father is just like the son. Jesus, the father calls those things that be not as though they were. And that's what he's doing here. He knew all about the circumstances of Rahab. And what all of the circumstances of why she's turned to a life of harlotry. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. And she hides them because she doesn't see these two men as enemies, she sees them as a treasure, a treasure that's been sent from God, and she hides them. So she said to the Gestapo as they knock on her door about to break it down, yes, the men came to me, but this should be no big deal. Hey, I am a harlot. I do run a business here, <laughs> but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut. When it was dark that the men went out, where the men went, I do not know. She says, pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax. And that tells us that it's springtime with these stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. And we'll come back to that in a minute. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan to the fords. And as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. So they believed the lie of Rahab, and no doubt about it, it was a lie. But I don't want us to get snagged on this lie of Rahab. Because people will say, and they're quick to say, hey, wait a minute. Does God bless lying? Isn't that an endorsement for a lie, to tell a lie? That could really be convenient if it was for some of us. 
You know, sometimes telling the truth is hard. But that's not what the Lord is doing here. I want us to understand that. We can never expect a non-believer to act like a believer is supposed to. We can't put the same demands upon Rahab here. She's going in a couple of verses to express her faith, but she's not there yet. How easy would it been for Rahab, she's a harlot already, to tell a lie? So that's no huge leap. And that's what she does here because she has not been brought into the family of God here. And she's doing this and she's saying, hey, I'm trying to save these two men's life. And so she tells a lie. That's what she does. And the Bible doesn't make excuses for lying. The Bible records the action of people in the Bible. The Holy Spirit tells it like it is. It's never to be taken as an endorsement by God of their actions. It's just simply recorded on what people do here. So Rahab tells this lie. And my point is, I don't want any child to say, hey, look, Rahab told the lie and she was blessed by it. So I guess it's okay for me to lie to my parents and I'll get a blessing. Well, no, it doesn't work like that. Once again, we should never tell a lie and think we're going to get blessed out of it. So it says in verse 7, then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan to the fords. Now, what they do, they go eastward, assuming that the men will cross back over on the east side. But she's going to send them the opposite way here. And as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now, before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof. Notice that her house is on the wall of the city. And it was typical on the wall of the city, 15 uh, feet apart, these two walls. They would lay two or three beams on each wall, and they would build homes up on the wall. That's how Rahab's house was. So these two men, they not only go into the house, but they go up to the roof of, a ho- of the house. And it says, now before they lay down, speaking of the two spies, she came up to them on the roof. She's not wasting any time and said to the men, I know. She doesn't say, I suppose or I guess. Rahab says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. She, she even knows his name, Yahweh. And it's in the past tense that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land, even the giants that's in the land, are faint-hearted. Their, their hearts are melting because of you. And that's exactly what God had told them would happen when they crossed the Red Sea. For we have heard, notice in verse 11, it says the same thing as we heard. I think the Holy Spirit puts that there because he wants us to know and stake our lives on it that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. She says, we have heard, not that we have watched a TV show, 
Now, I don't care how spiritual it may be. It's the hearing of the word of God, how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. Notice the Holy Spirit does not say the Reed Sea. I've, I've read enough of that. They did not cross the Reed Sea. They crossed the Red Sea. Uh, Rahab did not say, I, I heard how the children of Israel went through that swampy swamp and got all muddy. No, the sea was parted, and she knows that. What I don't understand is how she knows this. Rahab at this time is probably 30 to 50 years old. Maybe she heard this account, this story, when she was a little girl. That how Yahweh had dried up the Red Sea. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og. And that was a current event, happened about a year now, whom you utterly destroyed. We have to understand there's no internet, there's no social media. All those things might be good if we didn't have that anymore. I believe that these patrons would go into Rahab's home. And once again, this was a trade route. And they would begin to tell what was going on in their lives. And they would be coming all the way from Egypt. Hey, the business is not good. Now, COVID has hit. Something worse than COVID had happened. These 10 plagues have hit. So my dad's business is not doing well. And, and, and we know that this God of Israel, he did all of this to us. And so she hears this all the time. And while others are hearing this, because the whole inhabitants of Canaan knows this, it's beginning to ruminate in Rahab's heart. Rahab is listening, and Yahweh God is ministering to her. You know, they tell me that when you go, if, if you go to a pub or a tavern and the bartender there, everybody loves to speak to the bartender. The, bar, the bartender is the psychiatrist, a, a sociologist, everything. People tell them their tales. And that's what Rahab was doing. They would tell her what was going on. And the Lord was sending all of these messages of the gospel to her about this Yahweh God, who is a God of slaves, who has stooped down to the, to, the, to the Israelites. And she's thinking, if he would do that with them, will he do that with me? And I'm going to place my trust in this God. Five million people in Jericho. And every one of them knows about this God of Israel. But only one, as we know, is being moved by the Holy Spirit. 
And it says in verse 11, and as soon as we heard these things, still testifying, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, notice what she says, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. It's not Mother Earth. It's not the technology. It's not the government. It's not the military industrial complex that is God. It is Yahweh. He is God. He is the one we should place our full trust in. And he will never forsake us or leave us. His promises, they are sure. Paul says all of the promises are God is what? Yes and amen. Yes, it will happen. Let it be so. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord. She wants into this family. And not only has she heard of the power and the might of Yahweh, you see, the unrepentant, the unrepentant heart and the others in Jericho and many in Canaan, they were terrified once again. But being terrified, I'm here to tell you this morning, that's not enough. What are you going to do about the wrath of God that is coming? But as Rahab, she would begin to listen She heard something else. Yes, this is an awesome, the Bible says he is an awesome and terrible God, but he is a merciful God also. And as the Lord was speaking through her, through these men, that's what she heard. The Lord is merciful. The Lord is merciful. The Lord is gracious. The Lord is kind. He is slow to wrath and slow to anger and quick to forgive me of my sins. Of all of the awesomeness of God, she heard the kindness of God. He is a God of slaves. And I wonder, will he be my God also? And he delivered the children of Israel from their harsh taskmasters in Egypt. And I'm a slave also. I'm in bondage also. And he can deliver me too. Aren't we glad? We can sit there and and put on airs that we've never did anything and your life was perfect and I was goody two-shoed and gave my life to the Lord. That's good and well. But one thing I know, you can't work your way into the kingdom of God. You can't be good enough to enter the kingdom of God. Well, I'm pretty good. And I think my good outweigh my bad. Therefore, I go to heaven. I cannot find that in the word anywhere. The standard is almighty God. And every human being has fallen short of that. And that's what Rahab knows And once again, there was no internet, there was no TV, there was no Fox News, and she hears all of this about this awesome God who is a merciful and gracious God. And I've told you guys a lot that I am a newsaholic. I watch Fox News all the time, then I turn to the other station just to see other things. But as I look 
at our culture and all of the things that's going on in this world, how they're just knocking individuals out standing on a street corner, how we are allowing our culture, we're allowing drag queens to go into elementary schools and have those runway shows and read a book into the minds of these undeveloped children and they're grooming them for a life of perversity and, and your politicians, and it seems like everyone else are afraid to stand up and say, this is wrong. There is a right and a wrong. But no one will stand up and say, hey, th- this, is, this is crazy. This is insane. Even when I was a fool fledged sinner, I knew there was a right and wrong. I knew my immorality and my drug abuse was wrong. And when I finally gave my life to Jesus Christ, he opened my eyes to the truth of his standard. And I knew I fell short, but I knew there was a right and wrong. And it's so sad that the lines in our culture are just being a gray area these days. But I'm here to tell you, God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is the judge of all the earth. And we cannot work our way into heaven. We must repent of our sins like Rahab will do and place all of her trust in her Savior, Jesus Christ. And we need to do that. Rahab comes to genuine faith. And there's a difference between intellectual faith up here and genuine faith 12 inches down to the heart. It's a lot of people who knows it up here. The demons knows it up there and they tremble and they're not going to heaven. But you must be born again. You must place all of your trust in the person of Jesus Christ and say, hey, I can't do this by myself. I'm not good enough. My righteousness is nothing but filthy rags in your sight. That's who I am. That's what I was born into. And I'm placing all of my trust in the person of Jesus Christ. And by your grace, by the Holy Spirit that indwells me, I will walk upright before you only by your grace. That is salvation. That is truth. Hebrews tells us this in 1131, by faith, the same faith that Rahab had, we must have. The harlot Rahab did not perish. And once again, that word perish is not a perish of being, but a perishing of well-being did not perish with those who did not believe. That's the problem. Which she had re- when she had received the spies with peace. Then James talking about our works, proving that we are who we say we are. James plays hardball. And this is what he says. Likewise, 
Was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? At the stake of her own life, because there was something higher in her heart, more than her own concern about her own prosperity. And she demonstrated her faith by her actions. That's what we must do. We must walk in in our faith. We must walk upright in our faith. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. The latter part of Romans chapter 8, verse 9 tells us this. Now, if anyone, Paul makes it clear, does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. You must be born again. I wonder a thousand years from now, will they still be saying born again? I was listening to, listening to the message coming to church, and they quoted a verse. And the guy, when he quoted the verse, it was about being, it was about repenting of your sins. This is it. The kindness of God leads you to repentance. That's what the scripture says. I don't get any farther than, than the King James to the ESV, and it has the same thing. He says, for the kindness of God leads to a change. Forget about the word repentance. There's a difference there. Repentance, metanoia, it is to make a change. I was going one way away from the Lord, and I changed to a different direction, and, and now I am walking with the Lord. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Let's go back to verse 6 for a moment. This is what it says. But she had brought them up to the roof, and hidden them with the stalks of flax. Notice this, which she had laid in order on the roof. Rahab, she's a tough girl because this kind of work is hard labor. She takes this flax upstairs on the roof. It's a dirty job. It's a hard job. And then she also has to carry water up to the roof to soak the flax. And after you soak this flax for about 15 days, two weeks, you would let it dry out in the sun. That's why they're up on the roof. And as it dried out, you would begin to see the fiber in the flax. And they would take that fiber and they would use it as thread to sew clothing together. Rahab She worked. She had a business. And she had another business because she had this scarlet rope. It wasn't a cord. What they would do, the minerals in Jericho, rocks, they would take these rocks and they would crush them and they would put them in a big cauldron, a big pot. I'm reminded when my mom and dad, we, we had a hog farm. And every time we would slaughter hogs, we'd have these huge black pots. And, you know, they would put the chitterlings in it and pig feet in it and the pig ears in it and all that stuff in it. But anyway, they boil these minerals down. And when it gets down to a certain level, because the water is evaporating, they would take a large rope and wrap it around the pot because they didn't have a way to store this dye or this color And when it would disintegrate, it would be in the rope. 
And they said they would take, they would cut off six to eight inches of rope and sell it if you wanted to color or dye your clothing. So this was a lucrative business here. And she was a businesswoman, a hardworking woman. And she was seeking the one true God in all of this. Proverbs 31, 13, speaking of the virtuous woman, she seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hand. God is nudging this woman into the kingdom, into his family. She was probably praying, how do I truly get to know this God of Israel? I'm seeking, I've always said many, many times ago. Years ago, if there's someone in in the deepest, darkest jungle and they're wanting to know the one true God, God will send someone or they will dream a dream about it. Rahab is wanting to know. She opens a door and here's two Hebrew soldiers about to tell her about him. It says in verse 12, now, therefore, Rahab speaking, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness. That word kindness is the Hebrew word hesed, covenantal agreement. Cut the covenant with this. Since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token, a true sign, and spare my father. She's not only worried about herself, my mother, my brothers, my sisters. She's assuming the victory is already had and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. So the men answered her, our lives for yours, if none of you tell this business of ours. And it shall be when, not if, the Lord has given us the land. Joshua has picked out two bad boys, two confident boys in their God. They probably sit around Caleb being 90 something years old, Caleb at the time. And Caleb is telling them when, when he, him and Joshua went to spy out the land and they said, Hey, we can take them no matter what, that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Now let's think about Rahab for a moment. The Lord is drawing her about to come into faith with the one true God. I don't know how long she's been a harlot. I wonder, does her family even speak to her? I wonder, is she isolated from everyone? And now all of a sudden, and she doesn't know when, she's got to go to them and tell them about Yahweh. That's tough. That's what we're called to do with our lost loved ones and our lost friends. Hey, and, and, and she's, we're going to find out she's got to put this scarlet cord down. And can you imagine her telling her dad and her mom and her brothers and sisters, hey, look, Yahweh is coming. You've heard about him. We've all heard about him. And now we're secure because I'm going to let down this scarlet rope. And all you have to do is come into the house 
and you will live. And maybe one of her brothers said, hey, I'm fighting with the, with, with the Canaanites anyway. I don't want to hear that. We don't know. And she has to convince them that they're only going to be safe and sound in this house. It's the same with us. Hey, look, mama, I know you came and you visit me when I was in prison. Hey, daddy, I know you told me. I know you, mama and daddy, you trained me up the right way, but you took me to church all the time. And I know about this God named Jesus Christ. I know how he can turn a life around. And I gave my life to him. And mama said, I'll believe it when I see it. I smiled. I've told you the story before. I smiled. I said, I understand. Year one, year two, coming over, sharing, just being myself. By year three, they're thinking, Lord, you might have saved him by now. He, he hasn't gotten in any trouble. And all of a sudden, I could see her heart brighten and daddy's heart brighten. And we begin to talk scripture together. And we, me and daddy would have long conversations. Al, Vic, what do you think is happening here? And I'd sit down with him. My greatest privilege in the world to sit with my dad and say, hey, daddy, this is what it means. I know you, the church you've been going to, you don't, they don't teach verse by verse, chapter by chapter. So you've never been through the whole Bible. So let me help you out with it. <laughs> and I would tell him. And you could see his heart and the, the smile on his face. and said, man, I'm proud of you. And that's what I tell my children. I don't care about what job you have, what kind of trade you have. None of those things matter to me. The only thing that matters to me, my two kids, if you know the Lord. Because it doesn't matter what happens down here. It matters after we give up the ghost. Do you know him? Are you born again? And that's what she has to tell her family, and it must work. It says this, I think in 1 Corinthians, we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Share the gospel with your loved ones as if their lives depended on it, because it does. He says in verse 15, then she let them down by by a rope through the window. There it is. For her house was on the city and she dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, get to the mountains, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. So the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath of yours. We're going to hold our end to it, which you have made us swear unless... When we come into the land, you bind this scarlet cord, we know it's a rope, in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home, so it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head. And and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house... His blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. She has to convince her family to get in this home with them. And that's what I believe she does here. Rahab, the harlot. We know the account. God loves Rahab. Her son's name 
is Boaz. And when others would turn their back on Ruth, because remember, Ruth was a Moabitess. Boaz had no problem because his mother was a Canaanite harlot. He knew the love of God, and he knew his mom had come to genuine faith in the living God and had taught him his whole entire life that God, the one true God, is not a respecter of persons. He loves everyone. And Boaz, her son, will take, we know the account, Ruth, and they will have a son named Obed, who will have a son named Jesse, who will have a son named... Ah, y'all know your Bible. (laughs) Yeah, David. That's the goodness and the kindness of God who looked at this harlot that no one, I I believe, cared about and says, I'm going to put you in the family photo. Those Christmas photos, you put your family together, you take a picture and send them out. Rahab is peeping like, here I am. Here I am. I'm happy to be here. And God was blessed to have her here. And then her great, 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 great grandson, Jesus Christ. That's the kindness of God. That's the kindness of God. Matthew, the genealogy, says this. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Sarah, who was, who was, whose mother was Tamar, who dressed as a harlot. Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amenadab, Amenadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother there she is, was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of the king. The goodness of God. The worship team can come up. Verse 20. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which you made us swear. Then she said, according to your words, so it be. And she sent them away and they departed and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. I believe the moment they left, she put it in the window. Today is the day of salvation. Harden not your heart. They departed and went to the mountain and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all along the way, but did not find them. So the two men returned, descended from the mountain and crossed over. And they came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, truly, the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands. For indeed, all the inhabitants of the country are faint hearted because, notice what they say, because of us. Remember, real quick, 38 years ago, Moses sent the 12 into the land. They seen the Anakins. They seen the giants. They go into Eshcol and they cut off this great branch 
of grapes, so big of grapes that they had to carry them on a pole between two men. And they come back to Moses and they say, hey, you're right. This land is flowing with milk and honey. Everything you said about this land, Moses, is true. Nevertheless, hmm, there are giants. And in our own eyes, we looked as if we were grasshoppers. There's giants in this land in this world, in this culture that we live in. But we need to be like Joshua and Caleb. Nevertheless, Lord, you've given us this land. We can take it. They brought back fruit the first time. That was grapes. They bring back fruit this time. One fruit that blessed the entire two to three million people. And that one fruit was Rahab, the fruit of the land. That's what God is looking for. That's what he's wanting, fruit in our lives. They had all of the confidence they needed to go into the land. And we're going to see next week that the promise that they made to Rahab, these two spies, and I'll sit down, they're going to have a problem because Oh, yeah, by the way, Joshua, how are we going to defeat this people? Joshua says, I don't know. The Lord hasn't told me yet. But we find out they march around the city, and I guarantee you these two spies are saying, Oh, God, we're going to break our promise because when these walls fall down, what's going to happen to Rahab and all of the people in the city? What's going to I bet the whole time as they were praising and worshiping, these two guys were saying, Lord, you're going to have to really do a miracle to knock all of the walls down and leave this section up. But that's the God we serve. Father, thank you for we serve an omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing God who stoops down and loves us and blesses us with your grace and your mercy and your loving kindness. And that we're in a covenant relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ. And you will never leave us nor forsake us. And all the promises of God are yes and amen if we stand firm and trust in the promises of God. Lord, I pray that everyone here will be confident in our chief shepherd, our great warrior, Jesus Christ, the soon and coming king. May we hold on to him firmly. And I ask all of these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to the Father God. Amen.